Chapter 8, Part 2 of Miss Mapp. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rhonda Fetterman. Miss Mapp by E. F. Benson. Chapter 8, Part 2. Miss Mapp let herself into her house in an agony of mortification. She could scarcely realize that her little expedition, undertaken with so much ardent and earnest curiosity only a quarter of an hour ago, had ended in so deplorable a surfeit of sensation. She had gone out in obedience to an innocent and, indeed, laudable desire to ascertain how Major Benjy spent those evenings on which he had deceived her into imagining that, owing to her influence, he had gone ever so early to bed, only to find that he sat up ever so late, and that she was fettered by a promise not to breathe to a soul a single word about the depravity of Captain Puffin, on pain of being herself accused out of the mouth of two witnesses of being equally depraved herself. More wounding yet was the part played by her Major Benji in these odious transactions, and it was only possible to conclude that he put a higher value on his fellowship with his degraded friend than on chivalry itself. And what did his silence imply? Probably it was a defensive one. He imagined that he too would be included in the stories that Miss Mapp proposed to sow, broadcast upon the fruitful fields of tilling and indeed when she called to mind his bellowing about worm-casts, his general instability of speech and equilibrium, she told herself that he had ample cause for such a supposition. He, when his lights were out, was abetting, assisting, and perhaps joining Captain Puffin. When his window was alight on alternate nights, she made no doubt now that Captain Puffin was performing a similar role, this had been going on for weeks under her very nose, without her having the smallest suspicion of it. Humiliated by all that had happened, and flattened in her own estimation by the sense of her blindness, she penetrated to the kitchen and lit a gas ring to make herself some hot cocoa, which would at least comfort her physical chatterings. There was a letter for Withers slipped sideways into its envelope, on the kitchen table, and mechanically she opened it and read it by the bluish flame of the burner. She had always suspected Withers of having a young man, and here was proof of it. But that he should be Mr. Hopkins of the fish shop! There is known to medical science a pleasant device known as a counter-irritant. If the patient has an aching and rheumatic joint, he is counseled to put some hot-burning application on the skin which smarts so agonizingly that the ache is quite extinguished. Metaphorically, Mr. Hopkins was thermogene to Miss Mapp's outraged and aching consciousness, and the smart occasioned by the knowledge that Withers must have encouraged Mr. Hopkins, else he could scarcely have written a letter so familiar and amorous, and thus be contemplating matrimony, relieved the aching humiliation of all that had happened in the sea-mist. It shed a new and lurid light on Withers. 
It made her mistress feel that she had nourished a serpent in her bosom, to think that Withers was contemplating so odious an act of selfishness as matrimony. It would be necessary to find a new parlour-maid, and all the trouble connected with that would not nearly be compensated for by being able to buy fish at a lower rate. That was the least that Withers could do for her. To insist that Mr. Hopkins should let her have dabs in place exceptionally cheap. And ought she tell Withers that she had seen Mr. Hopkins? No, that was impossible. She must write it, if she decided, for Withers' sake, to make this fell communication. Miss Mapp turned and tossed on her uneasy bed, and her mind went back to the Major and the Captain and that fiasco in the fog. Of course she was perfectly at liberty, having made her promise under practical compulsion, to tell everybody in Tilling what had occurred, trusting to the chivalry of the men not to carry out their counter-threat, but looking at the matter quite dispassionately, she did not think it would be wise to trust too much to chivalry. Still, even if they did carry out their unmanly menace, nobody would seriously believe that she had been drunk but they might make a very disagreeable joke of pretending to do so, and, in a word, the prospect frightened her. Whatever Tilling did or did not believe, a residuum of ridicule would assuredly cling to her, and her reputation of having perhaps been the cause of the quarrel, which so happily did not end in a duel, would be lost for ever. Evie would speak— quaint Irene would certainly burst into hoarse laughter when she heard the story. It was very inconvenient that honesty should be the best policy. Her brain, still violently active, switched off for a moment onto the eternal problem of the portmanteau. Why, so she asked herself for the hundredth time, if the portmanteau contained the fatal apparatus of dueling, did not the combatants accompany it? and if, the only other alternative, it did not. An idea so luminous flashed across her brain that she almost thought the room had leaped into light. The challenge distinctly said that Major Benji's seconds would wait upon Captain Puffin in the course of the morning. With what object, then, could the former have gone down to the station to catch the early train? There could be but one object, namely, to get away as quickly as possible from the dangerous vicinity of the challenged captain. And why did Captain Puffin leave that note on his table to say that he was suddenly called away, except in order to escape from the ferocious neighborhood of his challenger? "'The cowards!' ejaculated Miss Mapp. "'They both ran away from each other!' How blind I've been! The veil was rent. She perceived how, carried away with the notion that a duel was to be fought among the sand dunes, Tilling had quite overlooked the significance of the early train. She felt sure that she had solved everything now, and gave herself up to a rapturous consideration of what use she would make of the precious solution. All regrets for the impossibility of ruining the character of Captain Puffin with regard to intoxicants were gone, for she had an even deadlier blacking to hand. 
no faintest hesitation at ruining the reputation of Major Benji as well, crossed her mind. She gloried in it, for he had not only caused her to deceive herself about the early hours on alternate nights, but by his infamous willingness to back up Captain Puffin's bargain, he had shown himself imperviously waterproof to all chivalrous impulses. For weeks now the sorry pair of them had enjoyed the spurious splendors of being men of blood and valor, when all the time they had put themselves to all sorts of inconvenience, in catching early trains and packing bags by candlelight, in order to escape the hot impulses of quarrel, that, as she saw now, were probably derived from drained whiskey bottles. That mysterious hollering about Wormcast was just another disagreement and crowning rapture of all. Her own position as cause of the projected duel was quite unassailed. Owing to her silence about drink, no one would suspect a mere drunken brawl. She would still figure as heroine, though the heroes were terribly dismantled. To be sure, it would have been better if their ardor about her had been such that one of them, at the least, had been prepared to face the ordeal, that they had not both preferred flight, but even without that she had much to be thankful for. "'It will serve them both,' said Miss Mapp, interrupted by a sneeze, for she had been sitting up in bed for quite a considerable time. "'Right.' To one of Miss Mapp's experience, the first step of her new and delightful strategic campaign was obvious and she had spent hardly any time at all in the window of her garden-room after breakfast next morning, but set out with her shopping-basket at an unusually early hour. She shuddered as she passed between the front doors of her miscreant neighbors, for the chill of last night's mist and its dreadful memories still lingered there, but her present errand warmed her soul even as the tepid November day comforted her body. No sign of life was at present evident in those bibulous abodes. No kihis had indicated breakfast, and she put her utmost irony into the reflection that the United Services slept late after their protracted industry last night over diaries and Roman roads. By a natural revulsion, violent in proportion to the depth of her previous regard for Major Benji, she hugged herself more closely on the prospect of exposing him than on that of exposing the other. She had had daydreams about Major Benji, and the conversion of these into nightmares annealed her softness into the semblance of some red-hot stone, giving vengeance a concentrated sweetness, as of saccharine contrasted with ordinary lump sugar. This sweetness was so powerful a quality— that she momentarily forgot all about the contents of Wither's letter on the kitchen table, and tripped across to Mr. Hopkins with an oblivious smile for him. "'Good morning, Mr. Hopkins,' she said. "'I wonder if you've got a nice little dab for my dinner today. Yes? Will you send it up, then, please? What a mild morning, like May!' The opening move, of course, was to tell Diva about the revelation that had burst on her the night before. Diva was incomparably the best disseminator of news. She walked so fast, and her telegraphic style was so brisk and lucid, 
her terse tongue, her revolving feet? Such a gossip. Diva, darling, I had to look in a moment, said Elizabeth, pecking her affectionately on both cheeks. Such a bit of news. Oh, Contessa di Faradidlione, said Diva sarcastically. I heard yesterday. Journey put off. Miss Mapp just managed to stifle the excitement which would have betrayed that this was news to her. "'No, dear, not that,' she said. "'I didn't suspect you of not knowing that. Unfortunate, though, isn't it? Just when we were all beginning to believe that there was a Contessa di Faradidlione. What a sweet name! For my part, I shall believe in her when I see her. Poor Mr. Wise!' "'What's the news, then?' asked Diva. "'My dear, it all came upon me in a flash,' said Elizabeth. "'It explains the portmanteau and the early train and the duel.' Diva looked disappointed. She thought this was to be some solid piece of news, not one of Elizabeth's ideas only. "'Drive ahead,' she said. "'They ran away from each other,' said Elizabeth, mouthing her words as if speaking to a totally deaf person who understood lip-reading. Never mind the cause of the duel. That's another affair. But whatever the cause, here she dropped her eyes, the Major, having sent the challenge, packed his portmanteau. He ran away, dear Diva, and met Captain Puffin at the station running away, too. But did, began Diva. Yes, dear, the note on Captain Puffin's table to his housekeeper said he was called away suddenly. What called him away? Cowardice, dear! How ignoble it all is! And we've all been thinking how brave and wonderful they were. They fled from each other and came back together and played golf. I never thought it was a game for men. The sand dunes where they were supposed to be fighting? They might lose a ball there, but that would be the utmost. Not a life. Poor Padre! going out there to stop a duel, and only finding a game of golf? But I understand the nature of men better now. What an eye-opener! Diva by this time was trundling away round the room, and longing to be off in order to tell everybody. She could find no hole in Elizabeth's arguments. It was founded as solidly as a Euclidean proposition. "'Ever occurred to you that they drink?' she asked. Believe in Roman roads and diaries? I don't. Miss Mapp bounded from her chair. Danger flags flapped and crimsoned in her face. What if Diva went flying round Tilling, suggesting that in addition to being cowards, those two men were drunkards? They would, as soon as any hint of the further exposure reached them, conclude that she had set the idea on foot, and then— no, Diva darling, she said, don't dream of imagining such a thing. So dangerous to hint at anything of the sort. Cowards they may be, and indeed are, but never have I seen anything that leads me to suppose that they drink. We must give them their due, and stick to what we know. We must not launch accusations wildly about other matters, just because we know they are cowards. A coward need not be a drunkard, thank God. It is all miserable enough, as it is. Having averted this danger, Miss Mapp, with her radiant, excited face, seemed to be bearing all the misery very courageously, 
and as Diva could no longer be restrained from starting on her morning round, they plunged together into the maelstrom of the high street, riding and whirling in its waters with the solution of the portmanteau and the early train for life buoy. Very little shopping was done that morning, for every permutation and combination of tilling society, with the exception, of course, of the cowards, had to be formed on the pavement with a view to the amplest possible discussion. Diva, as might have been expected, gave proof of her accustomed perfidy before long, for she certainly gave the padre to understand that the chain of inductive reasoning was of her own welding, and Elizabeth had to hurry after him to correct this grabbing impression. But the discovery in itself was so great that small false notes like these could not spoil the glorious harmony. Even Mr. Wise abandoned his usual neutrality with regard to social politics, and left his tall malacca cane in the chemist's. So keen was his gusto on seeing Miss Mapp on the pavement outside, to glean any fresh detail of evidence. By eleven o'clock that morning the two duelists were universally known as the cowards, the padre alone demurring, and being swampingly outvoted. He held, sticking up for his sex, that the major had been brave enough to send a challenge, on whatever subject, to his friend, and had, though he subsequently failed to maintain that high level, shown courage of a high order, since, for all he knew, Captain Puffin might have accepted it. Miss Mapp was spokesman for the mind of Tilling on this too indulgent judgment. "'Dear Padre,' she said, "'you are too generous altogether. They both ran away. You can't get over that. Besides, you must remember that, when the Major sent the challenge, he knew Captain Puffin, oh so well, and quite expected he would run away. Then why did he run away himself? asked the Padre. This was rather puzzling for a moment, but Miss Mapp soon thought of the explanation. Oh, just to make sure, she said, and Tilling applauded her ready irony. And then came the climax of sensationalism, when at about ten minutes past eleven the two cowards emerged into the high street on their way to catch the eleven-twenty tram out to the links. The day threatened rain, and they both carried bags which contained a change of clothes. Just round the corner of the high street was the group which had applauded Miss Mapp's quickness, and the cowards were among the breakers. They glanced at each other, seeing that Miss Mapp was the most towering of the breakers, but it was too late to retreat, and they made the usual salutations. "'Good morning,' said Diva, with her voice trembling. "'Off to catch the early train together? I mean the tram?' "'Good morning, Captain Puffin,' said Miss Mapp, with extreme sweetness. "'What a nice little travelling bag. Oh, and the Major's got one, too. Hmm.' A certain dismay looked from Major Flint's eyes. Captain Puffin's mouth fell open, and he forgot to shut it. "'Yes, change of clothes,' said the Major. "'It looks a threatening morning.' "'Very threatening,' said Miss Mapp. "'I hope you will do nothing rash or dangerous.' There was a moment's silence, and the two looked from one face to another of this fell group. 
they all wore fixed, inexplicable smiles. "'It will be pleasant among the sand dunes,' said the Padre, and his wife gave him a loud squeak. "'Well, we shall be missing our tram,' said the Major. "'Oh, au reservoir, ladies.' Nobody responded at all, and they hurried off down the street, their bags bumping together very inconveniently. "'Something's up, Major,' said Puffin, with true tilling perspicacity, as soon as they had got out of hearing. Precisely at the same moment, Miss Mapp gave a little cooing laugh. "'Now I must run and do my biddy shopping, Padre,' she said, and kissed her hand all round. The curtain had to come down for a little while on so dramatic a situation. Any discussion just then would be an anticlimax. End of chapter 8 Recording by Rhonda Fetterman